Every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's murder mystery podcast. I'm Mackenzie Clark. I'm Jeremy Vandress. This is our hobby. Today we're talking about season one, episode two, Murder on the Ballarat Train. Okay, so the cold open is a man who's collecting money and jewelry from some dirty children who seem to have lined up for this purpose. One girl doesn't bring enough money, so he threatens her, and the girl behind her in line stabs him with a fork through the hand. <laughs> Which is just very jarring. Did not see it coming. Yeah, and actually, I, I watched this scene a couple of times, and I noticed that you can see that she's not actually stabbing him in the hand. You see that she stabs him right next to his hand, and then they cut to, like, the, the prosthetic hand with a fork in it. <laughs> wow. So it's not very well done. So then, in the next scene, Miss Fisher and Dot are on the platform, ready to take a train to Ballarat to pick up Miss Fisher's new car, the Hispano Suiza. Also, they, of course, booked first-class tickets, first class she tickets. specifies. Yeah. And Dot wisely points out that it might not be the most subtle car choice for a lady detective. You know, that's not Miss Friday's style, so. Yeah, no. Um, and I did a little bit of research on the Hispano because I was pretty curious. It's a great um, car. And I found out that it was one of the nicest cars you could buy at the time. Mm -hmm. I looked it up and I think this car was most like the like most likely the Hispano Suiza H6 which was produced between 1919 and 1929 and the show is set in 1928 I mm -hmm. believe. And it did indeed have a top speed of 80 mile 85 miles per hour. Um, <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> yeah, and then fun fact, the hood ornament on the car is a heron and in this scene you can see Miss Fisher reading a brochure about the car mm -hmm. and the brochure does have a heron on it. Of course. And they were often the most expensive vehicle in Europe. Um, don't know how much they would cost in Australia. I was not able to find that out. Oh, okay. um, but it looks like now, if you wanted to buy one, it would cost a million dollars. Wow. So, I, I don't know, I assume they're renting it for Yeah, the for the show. I got thinking about that in this episode, too, because later on, she buys, well, not that much later on, um, she buys Bert and Sess a new taxi, and I was thinking, how did they get all these cool old cars that appear to be in really prime condition for this show? I suspect that most of the um, production cost of the show went into, like, setting the scene, but yes. I, don't, I don't know anything, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah. So, then we spot the earlier stabbing, dirty little girl on the platform. Well, no, it's it's not the girl that stabbed the man. The girl that stabbed the man is the girl with the dark hair. Oh, I thought the girl, sure. the girl with the dark hair was the one who didn't bring enough money, and then the girl oh, in line behind her okay, was yeah, defending okay, her because okay. they were buddies. Right. And then we also see a woman arguing with her daughter and being very rude. Uh, and then Bert and Sess show up, and Miss um, Fisher assigns them to help move her into her new house while she and Dot are gone. And um, they, it sounds like they're kind of trying to quit in this scene. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> get back to their taxi business. But Miss Fisher says that she has a little gift for them back at the house. So that turns out to be a new taxi. What a, what a lady. What a lady. Um, and then also at this point, Dot tries to play hooky from the trip in order to help move into the house, which I think is presumably because she doesn't want to ride in the new car. Definitely not. <laughs> um, but Miss Fisher says she invited her along so they could have some fun, which Dot does not seem to think it will be much fun. I mean, I think up till this point, Miss Fisher's idea of fun has been mostly just scary for Dot, so... Yes. But give it to Dot. She is uh, up for anything. Yeah. Though she, you know, I feel like she's the character in the show that really overcomes her own fears to live life fully. And I appreciate that. <laughs> Definitely. And so then next, there's a little boy running around mm -hmm. in the tracks, and Miss Fisher warns him that he might get squashed. So. And then she says, I never understood the appeal of parenthood, <laughs> which is a quote, one of my favorite quotes from the episode. But not to spoil too much, this is an episode where she decides to become a parent. So, yeah. a little foreshadowing there. More on that later. Mm -hmm. hmm. 
So uh, next we also see some boys on the platform wearing ridiculous striped jackets. And the the rude mother clearly disapproves of one of the boy and is being sucked up to and charmed by the other boy who then makes gross, smarmy, prolonged flirtatious eye contact with Miss Fisher. I think we have our lover prospect. Um, <laughs> the men do not get on the train, which is a shame to Miss Fisher. Yeah. Um, although, again, the striped jackets. Okay, I want to just talk about the striped jackets. It's just too much. Like, I get later on in the episode we find out why they were wearing the striped jackets but it's just too much I like if I had to wear a striped jacket for a sport I don't know that I would wear it all the time yeah like wear it around yeah like as a point of pride yeah well when I was on the crew team in college we had to wear extremely unflattering unitards and I would basically take that off as soon as the race was over. I didn't want anyone to see that. I think that. you were thinking about this the wrong way. You needed to wear it around. To pick to, up. On train rides to, you know. Pick up lady detectives. Yeah. Well, anyway, more on that later. Um, um, I think we have our lover prospect. Also, I want to say that I did remember the murderer in this scene at one minute and 50 seconds in, which is when the mother and daughter are arguing on the platform. That does not spoil who the murderer is. That's just when I remembered. All right. All right. We might, we may later graph this, uh, <laughs> these estimates. Anyway, so I also did a little bit of research on the train ride to Ballarat. It's about an hour and a half drive. And that's about how long the take the train takes nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I had a hard time figuring out exactly how long that would have taken in the 20s. I think it's a steam train. But there are some, like, historic steam train rides that tourists can take Mm -hmm. now on that route. And it looks like they take about four hours. But Um, this is an overnight train. Yeah, so so that's confusing. Unless maybe it's the late evening when they're on the platform. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, the timeline is a little bit... Well, anyway, not important. Um, I feel like we should have gone and done some field research for the podcast by taking the train to Ballarat, so. Well, listeners, just send us a donation. (laughs) We'll fly to Australia. Um, So then in the next scene, we have Mr. Butler's very first appearance. He's been hired to serve as a butler. butler. And we also get the first look at Franny's house, which is a pretty nice house. Pretty nice house, yeah. And um, this is a pretty funny scene where he's really excited to serve a spinster. A spinster. So, good one um, there. Writers. I also like that the first time we see Mr. Butler, he of course has refreshments, which is his specialty oh, in yeah. the show. So, um, also, one of, another one of my favorite quotes from this episode, of which there are many, Bert and Sess are in the new, they find a new taxi at the house with a like bow on it. And they say, we left the docks so we wouldn't have to lick the boss's boots. And then Seth says, but Miss Fisher's boots are different. (laughs) Yeah, Miss Fisher's boots are a pair of red patent leather heels. Yes, I would agree that her boots are different. This scene also has another great spit take where where Mr. Butler says, I believe she's related to the king. And then Bert just spits out his lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's a respectable lady with a strict routine who appreciates the quiet life um and then it cuts to Phryne on the back of the train like <laughs> hanging out on the balcony which I think is, is just a, a brilliant piece of editing yeah that's pretty good and I I feel like sort of in the later episodes we don't get quite as much of this like just sort of devil may care miss fisher mm. attitude like she does things in the pursuit of solving a crime but there's less just like carefree hanging yeah. off the backs of train cars well she got serious about her career you know and she was building her business and she's not the same anymore that's true 
So then after this, we see a little bit of dining car drama where the rude mother from earlier is arguing with the father of the child who was presumably not squashed, the one that Miss Fisher warned. And then in this episode, we see that the daughter, whose name is Eunice, is reading the novel Bandit Love. Which I looked up. So it's a 1930 romance novel by Juanita Savage. And I did find a little description of it. It is a romance. So here is the story of a beautiful Irish girl who rode horses like an Arizona cowboy whose hair was red as a flame and whose lover was an English gentleman. But then there was a Spaniard too. A Spaniard? Yes, indeed. Well, I thought it was some nice foreshadowing. Just the (laughs) the title of the book, at least. Bandit love, yes. I also just wanted to to pause, is now we're, we're fully into the murder mystery on a train, which I know you said you didn't like this episode, but, or it's not your favorite episode, which is fine. But I just want to say, I love a good murder mystery on a train. I mean, Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express is a classic. Classic. And just the setup of the murder mystery on the train is so perfect. And like, yeah, it's a little cliche, but any good murder mystery show needs an episode that takes place on a train. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I'm definitely right. <laughs> So then, back in the compartment, we have another great novel choice where Miss Fisher is reading Lady Chatterley's Lover. <laughs> And this is contrasted with Dot has brought knitting on the train to pass the time, which I thought was a great little, just a great little bit. Uh-huh. And then it appears to be nighttime. Miss Fisher has suddenly noticed that the train stopped and she smells chloroform. Which, like, could you really smell chloroform from that far away? I don't know a lot about chloroform, but... You know, they kind of go more into it in the book, uh, in the book version of this episode, where the whole train car has actually been chloroformed, and, like, everyone has passed out, and the smell is very, like, they describe it as being, I think, like, a sweet smell, and Mm -hmm. she recognizes it from the war. Wait, she didn't pass out, though? Uh, well, I think she was further away from the source, and she was affected by it, but she, like, Mm -hmm. put a handkerchief over her mouth and goes and opens all the windows. Knows. Also, we see in this, well, she's probably wearing this in the first scene, but this is where I first noticed it. She has this collar, this collared jacket on that is just so, I don't even know how to describe it. Is it the one with, is it like feathers? I yeah. Think? Yeah, it's pretty over the top. It's a lot. And like the rest of it looks like 100% something my mom would wear, like to church. And then it just has this <laughs> collar that you're, it's just like so much. Are you saying your mom wouldn't wear the collar to church? No. Okay, interesting. But the it's just like a nice print suit. Like, with a skirt and a jacket. Yeah. And then the collar. Anyway. (laughs) So then, because of the chloroform smell, she gets up to investigate and peers into the compartment where the arguing mother and daughter are staying, and she sees that the daughter is passed out in the compartment. So she immediately shoots the lock off of the compartment door, which I have to say seems pretty risky. You can't just fire a gun (laughs) in a packed train car full of sleeping people. Yeah, but this was the 1920s, you know? So she could have hit someone. But she just, she's, okay, A, she's a very good shot, so she knew what she was doing. There was no one in the corridor. She needed to get into the compartment to save this, this woman. And I think it was very efficient problem solving. Okay, I guess you're right. Also, I like how her response to smelling chloroform was she goes out into the hallway and immediately draws her gun. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I mean, I don't know. Be prepared. Also, how did no one hear a gunshot? Maybe they did. Well, but at that point, then, no. I don't know. Well, anyway, so she goes in, the daughter is passed out, and then I think what's funny is that immediately, immediately, as soon as waking up, the daughter goes, where's mother? Like, without looking around first to see, like, is the mother still there? No. 
She knows her. Oh, also, Dot heard the gunshot because she comes to right, join. So right. someone did hear the gunshot and it was Dot, of course. And then they pull the emergency cord. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny the way they cut this shot because they pull the cord and then you see the train stopping. So it's like as if the cord is, is an actual <laughs> Actually, emergency yes. brake that she's just pulling and it stops the entire train. Do you think it's like that on the subway when you hit the button the train just stops? No. I don't. Have you ever hit the button, though? <laughs> no, have you? No. I'm just saying, we don't know. Field research. Yeah. We'll get back to you in a future episode. <laughs> From jail, because we've been tampering <laughs> in the subway. Oh, you know what? I actually have, my next note is, I hate the feather collar coat she wears okay, throughout yeah. the train yeah. ride. Okay, yep. so. She wears the whole, because, yeah, she wears this most of the episode, so they really just went all in on this costume. Yeah. Well, it's probably expensive. They need to get their money's worth. <laughs> So then the local police arrive mm-hmm. to search for the missing mother. And Franny says, local clods are useless. Which, again, this is definitely a trope in all murder mysteries with an independent detective on the scene. Now, sometimes there's, if cop if a cop is the main murder mystery solver in a series, the cops are brilliant. If it's an independent detective is the, you know, no, even when it's a police officer that's the main character, the local police are always inept. Just always. 100% of the time, the local police are enough. How do you think actual police feel about that cliche? I think it's probably very frustrating and annoying for them. Anyways, Friday says, local clods are useless, and I thought, of course, they always are. And then you always have to get the independent detective to come in, or the, like, detective inspector, who is just hot and lighty. The big shot. Time to call in the big guns. Mr. Jack Robinson and Hugh Collins. (laughs) (laughs) And then... While they're investigating, the Miss Fisher and Dot are playing cards, and um, I just think this scene is funny because Dot is like, oh, you win. And she goes, ugh, what a relief. Yeah. <laughs> and Dot was like, actually into the game. Dot also reveals in the scene, so in the in the scene before when they're in the dining car and the little boy runs in and the father of the little boy and the mother who is now missing, the sort of cranky older woman, get into an altercation. What we learn is that they know each other from before. Right. So, and he says, like, if I had known you were on this train, I would have changed my ticket. So then Dot overhears this, and during the scene where they're playing cards, she tells Phryne. Right, so we get our first taste of Dot's investigative skills, Mm -hmm. which are greatly developed over the course of the series. So then Miss Fisher tries to offer her help to these local clods, and she cites um, her connection to Inspector Robinson, and the cop calls her bluff, like, so hard. Also, she produces her business card, which I love. She's so good about whipping her business card out at, like, every opportunity. It's like she's got them in every pocket and every outfit. Um, And she always just has this little, like, smirk when she does it. And I just need to get better about that. I always forget to even bring business cards. And it's like, I just need to, like, have them at the ready, like Miss Fisher. Just sort of, like, whenever there's, like, you might need my services, just produce a card. I don't have business cards, but I always lie and I say, oh, I just ran out, but let me write down my email address for you in case you need a murder solved. (laughs) So then in the next scene, um, Jack has arrived on the scene and has sent Hugh to tell Miss Fisher off for. Well, no, Hugh comes first. I don't think Jack is there yet. Right, but he sends yeah, he sends yeah. Hugh. Which here's my question: How large is Jack's jurisdiction? Because they work at City South Police Station, and then this is a murder that happens on a train, like at least an hour outside of the city, and yet it's somehow Jack and Hugh's jurisdiction. Yeah, I've wondered about that too in multiple episodes of this show, where Jack like yeah. travels to different places. 
What's with, like, anyways, maybe we need, to, for the next episode, we can do some research. I think regardless of the research that we do, the answer is going to be it is out of his jurisdiction, <laughs> but it serves the plot to have him on the scene. Oh, right. All right, you're probably right. Okay. But then also, this is our first, like, Hugh and Dot flirty oh moment. Goodness. I love this scene. I love it. They share a little flirty moment <laughs> over their silly bosses. Also, they're, like, in this very narrow train corridor. And they're very awkward around each other. And Dot is wearing, might I say, a very modest nightgown with a robe over it. So but she has to, like, pull the robe she's up. clutching the robe around her. Like, and she's wearing a lot of clothing. Like, she's just, the modesty is overwhelming. And well, yeah, you can't, you can't have a man see you in your nightdress. It's yeah. scandalous. Anyways, it's an adorable scene. And they sort of, like, jockey around each other in the corridor. And they're both sort of, like, smiling. It's very cute. I love it. So then... Miss Fisher and these local constables set off down the train tracks. Toward- well, first we get a, we get a scene of the local clods being idiots. They're playing like not darts, but they're like throwing rubber bands onto hooks, which looks like kind of a lame game. But so she like happens upon them doing that and is like, "What are you doing? We need to find these. Right. Find the missing woman." So. Right. I forgot about that. <laughs> and then she, the Hugh is there, and Franny and Hugh are look at the map together, and he's like, "But there's no stops between here and Ballarat." She's like, "But the train stops." So they find a water stop, and she she identifies that, and then gives this little shrug, like, no big deal. I just, like, moved the investigation forward. (laughs) Well, I also have in my notes that in this scene, she, I think they're telling her to slow down, and it's dark, and she Mm -hmm. claims that she has the eyes of a fox. And at this point in the episode, my husband, who was listening, responded, because she is a fox. (laughs) (laughs) True. But Friday first says, she's like, someone's been dragged here, which I don't know how how familiar our listeners are with the Lord of the Rings franchise, but there's this scene in the second Lord of the Rings movie where Aragorn finds, they're looking for Merry and Pippin, and there's like this battle scene, and Aragorn in the midst of the battle scene looks and says, a hobbit lay here. The most ridiculous scene in the entire yes. franchise. Yeah, and then he's like, and the other, they dragged, their ropes were cut. Anyways, this reminded me of that, because Franny's like, something's been dragged here. And then they like set off, like, <laughs> away from the tracks. And then she says, come on men, keep up! Because she's like, forging out. And she's wearing heels. Yes. The Anyways, entire time. I love it. So they find the murder victim. And then, this also I believe is the point where she tries to climb the ladder yes. at the water tower and Hugh is like Miss Fisher no and she's like nonsense I climbed Kilimanjaro and then she says well to the first hiker's hut yeah which might be the only time she tempers her absurd <laughs> claims <laughs> so then Jack arrives yeah at once they find the body it's like they call them the big guns because like they found the body so it's time for Inspector Robinson. Inspector Robinson arrives and sends Franny back to her department because even though she has to, so far in the investigation, come up with the only useful information. Yes. Well, so I, I like this scene because he sends her back to her compartment, but then she dangles her observations about the victim having all this yes. jewelry on that is now missing. And I love that, you know, Jack is in the early episodes quite skeptical of her, but he always gives her credit for the mm-hmm. clues that she uncovers. Mm-hmm. He never tries to steal them or no. play them he is like okay well we'll investigate that so i like that then in the next scene we have jack interviewing the daughter of the murder victim about what she remembers eunice and i think there's a weird moment in this scene where he puts his hand on her knee i noticed that too and i was like (laughs) jack boundaries yeah it was weird i was like is there gonna be a romantic connection between these two because this was still you know my first watching i was like i didn't realize you know what was gonna happen but maybe they were just trying to demonstrate that he's a good guy I think so. I think it was a kindly gesture, but I just thought he could have, like, 
touched her hand or shoulder rather than the knee. The knee is just universally sexual in nature yeah. when you put a hand on a knee. But I don't, well, at this point, Jack is, he's married. He's a married man. Yeah. I don't know, Jack. It's true. Questionable. So then anyway, in the next scene, Mr. Cotton is helping Miss Fisher open her window. Which well, helping, she kind of lures him into her compartment. Is There's a definitely luring going on. Oh yeah, she pretends that she needs help yeah. with the window, which she obviously doesn't since she can yeah. like leap to balconies. And, right, like, we've seen her arms. Like, yeah. She has the strength to open the window. And she tells him that Mrs. Henderson was murdered, and he says, I can't say I'm sorry, or something like that. Oh, and yeah. Yep. So, suspicious. Very suspicious. And then Jack arrives to actually interview him, and Miss Fisher sort of lingers humorously. Yeah, packing. she's like, oh, I'll leave, and then, but Jack starts questioning him when she is still in the compartment, which leads me to believe that he is starting to appreciate her. Yeah, and then she sort of, as she finally is leaving, as he gives her all these looks, like, get out of here, she sort of beckons to him, and he comes outside of the compartment, and she gives him a tip to yeah. ask Mr. Cotton about the altercation he yes. had with the murder victim. Yes. And this is when we find out that he received free tickets to be on this train. He won a contest. I'm oh, putting right. quotes around this. You can't see that because it's like a podcast. <laughs> but he won a contest. So then, in the next scene, Miss Fisher is offering her investigative services to Eunice, the daughter, who is just shockingly upset, very sad, weeping yes, over yes. the death of her mother. And we find out that they were they were just going to Ballarat to, again, I'm using quotes, visit old friends. I'm also suspicious about these friends. Yes. So then cut back to Jack talking to Mr. Cotton, and we find out that apparently Matron Henderson had a malpractice suit come in her way mm-hmm. because um, she caused, basically caused Mr. Cotton's wife to die in childbirth. So that's the nature of his grudge against her. Yes. Which, like, you know, full sympathy there. No. <laughs> So then next, Jack and Miss Fisher continue to spar over her interference. Wait, did we say, so Eunice hires Miss Fisher? Yes. Did you already say that? You might have So then in the next scene, we, for the first time, I think, start to see Jack acquiescing to Miss Fisher's help because of all of her observations. So then uh, we're, we're back at the scene of the crime, mm-hmm. and Jack is like, how did you open the door? And she claims to have knocked it off, knocked the lock off with her shoe. Which he doesn't buy for a second. Another one of my favorite quotes from the episode, your shoe seems to have the ballistic capabilities of a thirty-eight revolver. And a good high heel, ladies, always does. <laughs> yeah, that's Yeah, how you I get don't it. know. I feel like gun or shoe, either would have worked. I mean well, I he did use the gun, but Yeah, but I have a pair of Sam Edelman platforms that I think could have the same capability, you know? And then commence my favorite scene oh, in the whole episode, so <laughs> our first a sexual tension incident. <laughs> so then, um, you know, they're crouching by the window, and Miss Fisher hilariously recalls the absolute exact pattern and color of <laughs> Mrs. Henderson's afternoon frock. She's like, this scrap of cloth that they found in the windowsill matches Mrs. Henderson's frock exactly. It's like one half inch <laughs> square scrap of fabric and I, I confess that I did rewind to check and see what dress Mrs. Henderson was wearing and it is that is okay, as she described okay. like an ink background with a oh yeah she's yeah. very and, and Jack looks very skeptical but he also believes her he says I'll take your yep. word for it yeah and in this scene, they are approximately three inches. Their faces are, like, three inches apart. So close together. So close together. I love it. Um, and then I also have in my notes that I wonder if it's a piece of the actual fabric that was used for the costume, because I read that they sewed a lot of the costumes. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it is. So it could be. And then Hugh comes in and interrupts <laughs> them, and he sees them talking with their faces three inches apart, and the look on his face is like, whoa. 
what? <laughs> and he's, like, trying to get their attention, and they have started bickering. Very low-key bickering. And he's like, excuse me, excuse me. And they're just, like, they're just all up in each other's faces, and he looks horrified. Ugh, why deny the attraction? Why you gotta keep us hanging here? <sighs> anyway. For, yeah. Anyway. No spoilers. <laughs> so then next... The dirty, stabbing child, Jane, it turns out her name is, is found with the jewelry, but refuses to talk to the police. Which is why Hugh has come to the compartment, and it's relatively urgent, and he is trying to get them to break up their sexual tension slash bickering. To discuss a a missing child. Yes. Although, she's not missing, she's found. They found her. (laughs) Anyway. So then, in this scene, I also resent that Jack... When Jane refuses to talk to them, I resent that Jack immediately assumed Miss Fisher would be better with children. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe, you know, in my mind, I'm just choosing to believe that he thinks, you know, because Miss Fisher is good at everything and not just because she's a woman. Well, because I think he's like, he's starting to, we've seen him start to see her value as an investigator. And him and Hugh are stuck. And obviously we've already established that the local clods are useless. So... Well, and then we get, you know, segue to the next scene, which is also a terrific scene where he oh, is, favorite he's, scene. he's favorite actually scene. asking for her help for the first time. Also, but during this, they're on top of the train. Oh, so yeah. Miss Fisher is standing on top of the train. So Jack goes to, like, deal with the, the found child. And Miss Fisher just, like, gets up on top of the train. And that's where she is when Jack comes to find her to get asked for her help. And I think there's no denying <laughs> that they're definitely flirting with each other in this scene. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, oh, would you're surprised that I found the jewelry? And she's like, I'd be surprised if anyone found it. Except you. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, so what I noticed in the scene is she's on top of the train. Jack joins her on top of the train and says, how does this compare to Kilimanjaro? Which he was not there in the scene where she says something about Kilimanjaro to Hugh, which means that Hugh and Jack were talking about Phryne, like... I mean... Outside of the investigation. I think everybody's talking about her. Clearly. <laughs> and then, you know, I also noticed if, uh, you know, you, I know, have found the Jack and Franny super cuts that you can watch on YouTube, which <laughs> yes, is just a season-by-season season <laughs> compilation of every significant scene between Jack and Miss Fisher. Yes. <laughs> and I think if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably watched those as well. If you haven't, find them. They're excellent. They're great. But this scene is missing from the supercuts. Yeah. And it's a very important scene. Did I leave a comment on the YouTube video? I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> Sounds like you did. <laughs> so then uh, Miss Fisher tries to woo Jane for info, who is still pretty recalcitrant, even with Miss Fisher. Well, but then Miss Fisher first says, no, I don't do children. <laughs> and then Jack says, well, I guess it's off to welfare with her. And that's when Franny agrees to it, which I think just, A, Jack knows that, well, this will get Miss Fisher. And it definitely works. Which is interesting that he that he knows that that'll work. Maybe mm-hmm. he's just, you know, sort of rolling the dice there. But He is a detective inspector. I think he's probably very perceptive about people. And he has already figured out a lot about Friday. Yeah. If only he was so perceptive about himself. Anyway. He's a married man. Married man. <laughs> All right. But then I believe in the next scene she's just recruiting Mrs. Henderson to ride back to Melbourne together in the new car, the Hispano. Well, wait, so, so first the fizzy drink doesn't work, and Franny's like, oh, I guess bribery won't work. And then she basically just threatens her. So I guess the moral of this scene is that if bribery doesn't work with children, just threaten them with... She's like, well... You're going to be a suspect in a murder investigation. Which is absurd. She was never going <laughs> to be a suspect. Not. She's She weighs approximately 75 pounds. She could not have <laughs> killed a grown woman. 
<laughs> so yeah, so then Friday has convinced Eunice to ride back to Melbourne with them in the Hispano Suiza, who has, which has magically appeared, like, who brought it? Yeah, them. I also have that in my notes. Like, how does she arrange for the car to be delivered? Because there, how could there be a telephone on the train? There couldn't be. Maybe no. she, if she, did she get a, like a servant to go to town and make a call? I don't know. She must have. I don't. But they presumably they were all had to stay on the train for the investigation. Yeah, I don't know. Life before text messaging. I can't imagine it. Well, anyway, so the car Whatever, arrives. The car appears. One way or another, they're all popping into the car while Jack and Hugh watch, just shocked from the train window. And I love the expression <laughs> on Jack's face as he watches them drive off. With because oh, Friday says, again, one of my favorite scenes, who says, um, she, like, throws her hand up in the air as they're driving off, and she says... They say the top speed's 85, but I'm sure we can do better than that, which I just, like, I will, every time I watch this episode, I just watch that scene again. And I, you know, as a particularly cautious driver, always find myself wondering, if they say the top speed is 85, why would you want to try and make the car go faster than that? Wouldn't the wheels fall off? I mean, anyway. But that's why I'm not a devil-may-care lady detective, so. Anyway, so cut to, they all arrive back at Miss Fisher's new house, yes. and Mr. Butler comes out with refreshments to greet Always. them. Always has refreshments. And I think in the scene, Miss Fisher is really trying her best to shock Mr. Butler with just this <laughs> litany of, she's an orphan, and she might steal the jewelry, and, and her, mo- her mother was just killed, and... And then she's like, there's a pistol in my baggage, it might be loaded. You know, I think this is, that part is a bit stupid, because why would she leave her gun loaded? She's a, she's, she's a, a, a carefully observant yes. investigator. She would never leave her gun loaded. I think loaded. she's a very responsible gun owner. I think you're right, she is trying to shock Mr. Butler in the scene, and just like, you know, right off the bat, just make sure he knows what she's about. Yeah. And he, he's, just takes it all in stride, because he's Mr. Butler, and that's what he does. Yeah. And you know, I was anticipating that this would cause future strife. And it never really materializes. Mr. Butler no. just rolls with the punches. And I, I kind of prefer that. I think this any strife with Mr. Butler would have been a tiresome plot device. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Um, also, okay, so I want to notice, note in this scene. So the first, like, part of the episode, she's wearing the suit with a weird collar. And then in this scene, she has magic. She just like changed on the train, and I'm like, why didn't she change earlier? Because she is wearing a different outfit in the scene. She's wearing like these white pants. And oh, I love the white yeah. pants. I love those white pants too. I, I wrote in my notes, white pants, love. I don't wear white pants because I can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. You'd think that like you know, investigating crimes, white pants wouldn't be the best choice. There's a lot of like bodily fluids and just general grime that could get on the pants. But then, so then I'll notice that she is wearing the pants for the car ride, and then they go into the house, and then the next time we see her, she is wearing a different outfit, with a different pair of white pants, and a different shirt. So I think you just, the key to wearing the white pants is you change them frequently, okay. and you have, like, several servants that will get any stains on yeah. them for you. That probably just buttons her right into those pants. Pro- probably, uh, and yeah. So anyways, she's wearing different a different outfit very quickly after this, even though she wore the same outfit for the first, like, half of the episode, which I don't understand, but... So then, um, it turns out the Jacket Boys from the... the Jacket Boys, as they will henceforth be known. Yeah, from the the platform. They're in the parlor already. I guess they've just been waiting. And they turn out to be Eunice's fiancé and her cousin. And the Jackets turn out to be from the crew team that they are members of, which means rowing stupid little boats. And I can say that because I did it. (laughs) And 
Eunice's fiance, the the one, the other one besides the one Miss Fisher was making eyes at from the train. So Ugh. just rest assured, she was not hitting on someone else's fiance. Um, but he is one exam away from being a doctor. I bet. <laughs> I'm putting quotes around this. Okay. Um, and I also did a little bit of research on the blazers because I was incredulous that anyone would wear such a thing. And it turns out that they are historically accurate. And the bright colors were supposed to help identify which team was which okay. to help people on shore. Which makes sense because crew is a terrible spectator sport. Mm-hmm. The races are long, so you don't get to see very much of it, and the boats are, like, far away. So it, yeah. it would make sense to have to wear a striped jacket. But that's during the race. That yeah. doesn't mean you have to wear the striped jacket, like, to every event you and ever like, go to. Why would you wear your race outfit to practice? That doesn't make any sense. No. But anyway, um, apparently this is why blazers tend to have a preppy jock reputation, because they oh, were originally okay. worn by athletes. I'm not sure I'd want to row in a blazer. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I often find blazers to be a little tight in the shoulders. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but maybe that's just because I'm so jacked. Yeah, I need, like, a stretchy blazer. There's no room for my, like, bodacious biceps and shoulders. Although, okay, we do see Alistar, the man Franny's love interest for the episode, Without a shirt on, and he, you know, he had some muscles, so yeah, maybe the blazer is just very well tailored. Yeah, maybe they're room. They've built with extra room. Yeah, for the rowing. So I have in my notes that Alistair, the cousin, I wrote literally, he's a shameless and disgusting flirt. Yes. He also, okay, he's studying law, and he looks at Miss Fisher when he says this, and he's specializing in crime, which I don't think that's not how you talk about it. If you're like going to law school, like for criminal prosecution or like criminal defense you wouldn't say specializing in crime that doesn't mean anything like that could mean anything anyways that really irritated me i'm like he's just trying to like butter up frining because he knows she's a lady detective well i i love the way he says it's a treat to meet a lady detective and then she the look of suppressed disgust (laughs) that she gives him in that scene is classic and i was just like this is the look that i have for mansplainers the world (laughs) over and he doesn't even seem to be put off by it. He doesn't notice. He's not, well, I don't know that he has a great career in law ahead of him. He does not yeah. seem that perceptive yeah. or smart. Anyways. Yeah. Oh, wait. Alistair, I've been saying the wrong thing. Alistair is the fiance. Oh, shoot. Lindsay, Lindsay is the love interest. I'm, I apologize. Well, they, they both have stupid fancy boy names. And they're both wearing shrink jackets, so. Yeah. Lindsay, love interest. Alistair, fiance. So he gives her his number, he slithers off, and Miss Fisher is absolutely not charmed, and she immediately calls the university to find out, like, what these two fuck-ups are up to. She Um, sees through them immediately. (laughs) Yes. I'll also note that in this scene we establish that Lindsay is the nephew of the dead woman, and that the aunt, Mrs. Henderson, dead, didn't like Alistair, fiancé, because he was too common. As usual, Genevieve is clutch with the actual murder. Yes, I. <laughs> that is a key point in the investigation. And then Miss Fisher calls Melbourne University. Also, I appreciate that even though she clearly is skeptical because she immediately calls the university to like check their story, she is definitely flirting. And I think one of her skills is flirting while sleuthing, which I appreciate. Definitely. So then in the next scene, in the middle of the night, a suspicious lady shows up at Miss Fisher's house looking for Jane, the dirty orphan from earlier. She says she's her aunt. Which is extremely questionable because Jane is obviously terrified and refuses to go with her. Also, the aunt is wearing a horrid fur coat. It's just so horrid. It's really gross, yeah. 
And Miss Fisher is like, get out of here. You can talk to my lawyer. And she whips out a card in the scene. She just whips it out of nowhere. And I'm like, is that your lawyer's card or is that your card? And it's if probably it's, her card. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think she has her lawyer's card just hanging about. And then I also have in my notes that I don't understand why Jane refuses to tell Miss Fisher anything. Like, all she could tell her is like, yes, I am a victim of abuse. Please help me. But, I, don't, you know, I don't know anything about children, so. Yeah, I think she's, um... Very skeptical of all adults, given her life experience. Yeah, you're, Fisher. you're probably right. Yeah. You're probably right. And then Jack shows up at Miss Fisher's house to accost her for kidnapping Jane. Um, wait, but first, you missed a scene. I'm, I'm not going to hold it against you. Classic me. <laughs> um, but, so, we cut to Bert and Sess in the kitchen eating treats and saying, shocking conditions. <laughs> I think it's just... Anyways, it's funny. But then Friday comes and gives them some actual work to do that involves some shocking conditions. So she sends them to the Jane's aunt's boarding house to get the scoop by pretending to be boarders there. So she Ah, sends them off and then Jack arrives. Right. So Jack is like, you can't just run off with orphans. Also, he's wearing a fantastic fruity suit. Like, I just wish that more men would wear a suit like Jack is wearing. Yeah, with the fedora and everything. It's just so, and it just fits him so well, and it's like the vest and the coat, and it's Yeah, and you know what? I just want to make a public service announcement to any men who might be listening to this podcast, which I assume is none, but if you're wearing a fedora and you're not wearing it with a three-piece suit, you're doing it wrong. So if you you have jeans on right now and like an untucked checkered (laughs) shirt and a fedora, no. Please burn it. You're doing it wrong. And just like watch this episode. Look at how how Jack Robinson dresses and carries himself and just, you know, maybe try that. Try to emulate that. But stop what you're doing because it's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But so then Miss Fisher's retort to Jack's accusations of of kidnapping is that, well, I finally have gotten some answers out of her. So Jane admits that she found the jewelry Mm -hmm. by the side of the tracks and that she also noticed one of the boys in the striped jackets stowed away on the train. Mm -hmm. Um, who she saw, so she's a stowaway on the train, she's sleeping, and she sees someone coming to grab a rope, which she doesn't explicitly say it was a man in a striped jacket, but I think we all know. Yeah. It was one of the jacket boys. Well, she says it was one of the men that was there, mm-hmm. and she, so she was like, the, the boys that were here yesterday, yeah, it was yeah. one of them. Also, okay, back to the jackets. Don't commit crimes in your striped jacket. Like, I get that, like, it, okay, especially now that I know that it was to establish that the team that you were on like that's a very distinctive thing its purpose is to be distinctive if you're going to commit crimes <laughs> don't wear your jacket why would you do that well i mean you know presumably in the 1920s this was before people were able to binge watch law and order svu so they didn't know about all the ways that police detectives could catch them and also miss fisher in this scene tells jack that after phoning the university she's established that Lindsay is a gambler with debts, and Alistair has failed his exams. So we know that they're not, like, geniuses. Well, clearly not! They're committing crimes in striped jackets. Anyways, alright. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a couple of idiots on our hands. Um, so next scene, Bert and Sess are carrying out their assignment. They show up at this gross boarding house where the aunt lives, and Bert tries to pose as a potential boarder. And the creepy man from earlier, who's stabbed with a fork but seems to have made a great recovery... He's there, and he turns out to be a hypnotist. The great hypno. Yeah. And I love this part because they play this creepy music, (laughs) because Bert's like, oh, 
I know you. And it's like, as if he's just made this great connection, like, he's about to run back to Miss Fisher and be like, I found the murderer! But actually, he's just upset. Like, he's embarrassed about one time where this guy hypnotized him, <laughs> and he has to act like a chicken. Yeah, when she runs back to the car, and he's like, I can't, I can't go in there. <laughs> and then we learned that it's because he was made to act like a chicken by this hypnotist. Yeah. Um, I also like the scene where the woman is showing him the room and says, no alcohol, tobacco, or skirts. Which, like, I get means, like, you can't bring women back, but it also just sounds like you can't wear skirts in this house. Like, no cross-dressing is sort of the double meaning of that, which... She wasn't keeping an open mind. Yeah, I just felt like that wasn't quite fair. Like, no alcohol, no tobacco, I guess I get, but no skirts? What about a lady in pants, like Dr. Mac? Anyway, I'm not sure she'd be pleased about, you know, like, loopholes being exploited. No, probably not. Um, I also don't think Dr. Mac would, like, come to that board. I, yeah, no, I think we're pretty, we're pretty set on Dr. Mac's sexual preferences. Yeah, we, no, we find out about yeah. that later, but yes. we knew from the start. Um, we also hear Mr. Merton asking the, I forget the woman's name, Mrs. Aunt Gay, I think her name is. I forget. She's like, have you, he's, he asks her, have you found the girl? Which, like, just seems like, why would he be saying that in front of a potential boarder? But whatever. Yeah, it's pretty suspicious. Oh, but then Bert questions one of the, one of the girls, the the one who didn't have enough money in the first scene. And um, it turns out she knows Jane, and that Jane is from an orphanage. Mm-hmm. So then Jack calls in the two jacket boys, I believe, in the next scene, yes. to question them. Lindsay turns out to have a bunch of gambling debts, the fiancé failed his medical exam, and the fiancé also claims to have spent the night in jail for soliciting which I believe means soliciting a lady of the night. Yes, it definitely does. Which um, he feels awful about, allegedly. I also <laughs> just hate that guy's face. It's just so... It's, like a face it's his character. It's I, not the actor. It's just like... Anyways. A face you want to punch, yeah. Yes. So then, next, we have <laughs> another terrific scene in the show where Miss Fisher has driven the Hispano up to the river and is, like, lounging absurdly on the hood of the car. With, like, so many feathers. Like, I think she has a boa and a feather headdress. And, and she's the- wearing an evening gown. <laughs> I hate this dress. I it's hate it. It's so bad. The neckline, ugh, it's gross. So then the boys row by and flash to their practices over. Lindsay is, like, toweling off shirtless. Oh, wait. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I'm just looking through back through my notes. The other thing that we find out in the police station where Jack is questioning Jacket Boys and Eunice is that Lindsay is the sole beneficiary of Mrs. Henderson's will. How suspicious. So, um, Miss Fisher is, like, flashing him some stocking while he just, like, towels off shirtless. And I admit, the first time I watched this, I was worried she was about to be seduced by this smarmy, smarmy little bitch. And we find out he knows he inherited everything. (laughs) And Eunice, I think, was also interrogated in the previous scene. And she pretended to be totally surprised by this, but Lindsay insists she knew all along. Or... He, I don't know that she knew, but he's like, well, it can't be a surprise to her because Aunt Henderson, Aunt whatever, loved me. And she she threatened to do it repeatedly. Yes. And then he tries to put the moves on Miss Fisher, and she just totally rebuffs him. She Well, she says, and I quote, I don't allow myself to be lustfully compromised during a murder investigation, which we know from episode one that 
she does allow herself to be lustfully compromised during an investigation because let's not forget Sasha, the Russian dancer who stole her earrings. Yeah. Like she's definitely a prime suspect. I think he had her in a compromising position for and sure. There's definitely some lustful compromising going on. And I think this just means that Miss Fisher knew that Lindsay was just like a whore. Or, like just a stupid person. Yeah. So we also learn in this scene that he says he went to the auto club and had a beer and dinner. And then um, Friday asks him if anyone can verify his alibi, and he says, probably not. <laughs> so, not that bright and very, very sketchy. So, of course, at this point, we're starting to think he definitely did it. But, you know, as you know, it's <laughs> never really the first suspect. It's never that guy. Don't ruin it. All right, okay. So then in the next scene, we're back at the boarding house. The hypnotist hypnotizes Bert, and Bert immediately spills the beans about where Jane is hiding. He also gives the little girl Friday's card. So then in the next scene, I believe, um, Lindsay is being interrogated by Jack. Which, just what a contrast. Like, Oh my god. Lindsay has this, like, smirk on his face, and he's like, I'm wearing a striped jacket. And Jack is just like, I am. A very serious police investigator. Oh yeah, the smirk is just fixed in place. He's it's like, so disgusting. Ugh, ugh, ugh. He's also not that cute. Like we see him without a shirt on, and I'll admit, you know, like his toned muscles. He's like, I don't know if the actor actually rose, but like it's believable that he's a rower. Yeah, but his face is not that. He's just not that attractive. Yeah, I mean, good looks can't make up for a noxious personality. <laughs> <laughs> but so then. In this scene, we find out that twist, the Jacket Boys have switched places, and it was actually Lindsay who spent the night in jail using Alistair's name. <sighs> Giving Alistair a convenient alibi. Which I just love when, when Jack sort of gets this out of Lindsay, and he says, I'm glad you understand the seriousness of the situation. And it's just like, it's just like such a zinger, and it's just like Jack just clearly has the upper hand and then the smirk is off Lindsay's Oh, it just face. disappears just right gone, off his face, gone. yeah. So then, next, the hypno, who has just gotten the information out of Bert, shows up at the house, and the two, well, okay, so, well, first, Jane shows up, actually, the other orphan. From, no, Jane, no, it's... Oh, yeah, sorry, no, it's, it's Ruth. So then, Ruth, the orphan from the boarding house that Bert slipped a card to shows up at the house and um, Ruth and Jane are like stuffing their pockets full of Miss Fisher's jewelry, which she is shockingly forgiving of. Yes. Um, and then the hypnotist also shows up at the house and the girls are like, don't talk to him. He's horrible. And he's been hypnotizing people and making us pick their pockets. Uh-huh. And then he tries to hypnotize Miss Fisher, which is... Yeah, but I, I don't understand why she pretends to be hypnotized, or... Like, my theory is that she actually was hypnotized. And then she just says afterwards, like, no, I was never hypnotized for a moment. Yeah, it's it's not very believable. Because she does say, she says that Jane stole the jewels. Yeah. Like, while well, she's hypnotized. So that's a little unclear. And then she tells them, she tries to like keep them in the bedroom tells dot to lock them in but they somehow managed to switch places and lock dot in the bedroom instead which doesn't really i'm not sure how that happened i'm a little unclear yeah that was a little also the way that the hypnotist gets in the house is he like knocks on the door to talk to mr butler and he's basically like pretending to canvas for his hypnotist business which i just don't know if we would actually do that <laughs> He's like, I'm a hypnotist. I do parties. And I'm like, really? Like, um, imagine if someone showed up at your door. And yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm a hypnotist. Anyway. 
Well, you know, back in that day, there was there was less to do. People couldn't be like, no, nah, I don't want a hypnotist. I'm just going to watch <laughs> HBO. So then also in my notes, I have, like, why does the hypnotist and the boarding house woman want Jane back so badly? Like, they obviously have a bunch of other orphans. And, like, she already has shown herself to be a stabby, like, runaway troubled child. So what? why are they so desperate to get her back? Well, maybe she's really a thief. She might be a really good thief. Yeah. Or maybe they're worried she'll spill the beans about them, which... Probably that. Spoiler, she did. <laughs> yeah, too late for that. Also, I like how Mr. Butler describes Mr. Merton as a questionable gentleman, which is, like, so diplomatic. <laughs> and then I love the way Mr. Butler subdues him. Like, the girls, the girls run down, and do they whack him with something? And yeah, then Mr. They, Butler, like, grabs yeah. him bodily. And Friday, like, pulls her gun, of course, because it's always at the ready. But then yeah. Mr. Butler, like, has him under control. So, no threat there. And then in the next scene... Jack is, like, is weirdly at Miss Fisher's house, and he's questioning these two orphans, which I don't know why he didn't do that at the police station, but whatever. Because they're, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the actress who plays Ruth is so cute. She's, like, really really adorable. And then, while this is happening, Eunice shows up to tell Miss Fisher that she's done, she doesn't want any more investigating, she doesn't need a lady detective, and... Oh, Eunice. All the cards are revealed. Eunice, you needed Miss Friday's help all along. Oh, yes. So she hands her a check for her services, and I noticed I noted that the date on the check is 19, 1928, and it's for 32 pounds, which with my convenient conversion calculator, mm-hmm. I discovered was um, 2,500 Australian pounds today, or about $1,900. Wow. Yeah, a lot of money. So, there's some money in being a lady detective. I also wondered in this episode, I got thinking, how did Friday get her money? Like, we know, we find out later how the family got the money, like how her dad got the money, but then the dad is always, like, grubbing around for Friday's money. Well, I think, you know, after reading a lot of, like, Jane Austen novels and stuff, I think that frequently there were, like, these legal contracts that were written out that concerning, like, the, like, women or just, like, the heirs of the family and, like, saying that they would receive a certain amount of money mm-hmm. annually so like the father may not have had access to the lump sum oh and it was it. instead like invested and then certain amounts like a, an annual amount was right. given to different family members so that might be the case and friday was probably like investing that very wisely and the dad was squandering it so then friday had a lot of money and the dad is always grubbing around classic classic <laughs> hashtag patriarchy anyway <laughs> Um, so Miss Fisher looks at the check and immediately recognizes the handwriting is the same handwriting from the free tickets that Mr. Cotton received and realizes that he was framed for this murder. Also, this is why Friday is just such a good detective. Yeah, I'm not sure that I would recognize this handwriting similarity. In fact, I'm certain I wouldn't. So then Eunice immediately breaks down as people always do once the cards are on the table, which I don't think... I don't know, if we can find a police inspector or a detective, we should get them to come on the show as a a guest, because I don't know how regularly criminals just confess like they do in these shows. Yeah. Well, note to our listeners, if you know any detective inspectors, please put them in touch (laughs) with us. We'd like to speak to them immediately. But, anyways, Eunice starts telling them what the telling Franny what the plan was now that she realizes that the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. And the plan was to rob the mother of her jewelry so that they could get the money to run away together. But she wakes up while they're robbing her. So they have to kill her, which I'm not sure is true. Couldn't they have just run away? (laughs) Well, 
Yeah, more on that later. Yeah. Also, like, I'm just not really sure you could sell all that jewelry for, quote, enough to start a life together. Like, how much was it really worth, you know? Well, and Eunice, earlier on when Franny is talking to her, acts like she doesn't think the jewelry is worth a lot, which I think she's trying to cover, like, no, oh, no, you're yeah. not. She's like, oh, I think it was more sentimental, like, it wasn't really worth a lot, because she's trying to cover that, like, their plan was to steal the jewelry, because I think Alistair knew that the will left Lindsay as the sole beneficiary. Yeah. Well, so also I think it's ridiculous that he, <laughs> he, they have this whole plan to steal the jewelry, and then it sort of goes awry, and he has to kill this woman... And he drops the jewelry. It's like, you're committing murder to get this money, and you just let it fall out of your pocket. You know, it's like when you go to the airport for an international flight, and it's like, (laughs) if you're anything like me, you check that your passport is still in your pocket every four minutes. Like, I know it's there, but just checking. And he just lets this jewelry fall out of his pocket. And then it's sort of like, oh, and then Jane happens along and gets it, but like, if the whole point was to get the jewelry, why would you drop? It's not that hard to, like, secure a little bag of jewels. Zipper pocket, ladies and gentlemen. Zipper pocket. Also, doesn't that blazer, that striped jacket, have, like, pockets? Just put it in the pockets of the striped jacket. It, well, once again, we've established that the striped jacket was a bad choice. A bad wardrobe choice for committing robbery yes. and murder. A bad wardrobe choice for any reason, other than, you know, while you're rowing in competitions. Okay. So anyway, we all run off to the rowing club, Jack and Miss Fisher, and strangely Eunice, not sure why they didn't just handcuff her to a table, but they had to bring her along. Well, I think because she's going to be useful for them in, like, capturing Alistar, who sounds like the, like, mastermind. But she's, she's not useful, and I can't help but think that all along she never would have been. Anyway, so we're confronting the fiancé at the boathouse, and he's fighting with Smarmy Lindsay, and the the truth sort of all comes out, but in the the tumult, I think Alistair knocks the gun out of Miss Fisher's hand, Mm -hmm. and Eunice grabs it and threatens them, so it's like, why did you bring her? Yeah, she was kind of useless. The whole time she was basically useless. I I mean, except that she, like, broke immediately upon being questioned about, anyways, whatever. But the truth all comes out, and the lovebirds are hauled off in handcuffs, basically. Well, and and so Franny then says, so, that Alistair meant to kill the mother all along. So, Eunice is like, Alistair tells Eunice, she woke up, and like, it was a mistake, I never meant to kill her. But Franny's basically like, no, he meant to kill her all along. Like, that was the plan, all along. And then it's it's very dramatic scene, but the point is that Alistair gets hauled off in handcuffs. This is why it's important not to lose your head because of a pretty face, you know? You gotta make sure you're making the right choices. Okay. You gotta do your investigation. Is he really... Did he pass his exams? Is he really gonna be a doctor? Oh yeah, that's also... It comes out in the scene that he was not really going to become a doctor, and it's just all... Everything just tumbles out. It's a mess, and then Alistar is like, uh, he's such a, a... groveling idiot he's like no we can still get out of this and it's like no how are you gonna get out of this and then he's like i still adore you eunice (laughs) it's like no you're both gonna hang yeah take note ladies life is not a romantic comedy you need to investigate these assholes (laughs) also don't be a useless woman like eunice is just useless just a sad crying victim anyway (sighs) (laughs) 
So next scene, Miss Fisher is tucking Jane in and telling her she can stay as long as she wants. And I'm wondering how she's gone from hating children at the beginning of the episode to 45 minutes later she wants to adopt one. But it's because, okay, so the other thing that we get in this scene is a flashback to Phryne and her sister Jane as children in the bathtub. Boring. <laughs> all right, all right. Some of us like the, you know, longer arching plot line in this season. And Jane gives back a jewel that she stole. It's very touching. And then Phryne says, I can't take you back to welfare and has the flashback to her sister and blah, blah, blah. Et cetera. Um, and then Jack shows up for our very first Miss Fisher and Jack post-murder commentary. He reluctantly accepts a drink, sits and he's, down well, in the he parlor. Comes, he comes under the guise of telling Phryne that she can foster Jane. Well, but he, like, could, he, he comes, could have said that over the phone. And he comes pretty late at night to deliver this relatively, like, yeah, could have waited till the morning, could have, could have had Hugh call. I think we all know why he's there. We're on to you, Jack. And then she says, can I offer you a drink? And of course, he accepts. He looks at his watch. Ugh, come on, you're not fooling anyone. And then they add, they talk about having children, and add, she asks Jack if they've ever, if him and his wife have ever had kids. And then they say, he says, she calls him Inspector Robinson, and he's like, you can call me Jack. And she says, you can call me Phryne, but no one else does. And, you know, I don't know why she, she has like a weird voice in that scene. Yeah. She's, I'm not sure why that happened. It's like she had a frog in her throat and they just decided not to re-record the scene. But anyway. Anyways, call me Jack. It's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> okay, so. Alright, so the rundown on the murder and how Phryne figured this out. <laughs> the murder rundown. So, Eunice sent Mr. Cotton the free tickets in the quote-unquote contest to frame him so that her and Alistair could attack the mother, steal the jewels, presumably. So, Alistair sneaks in at the water stop when the train stops, pretends that the mother wakes up during the chloroforming, drops the jewels, then, you know, hangs the mother at the water towel. Okay, also, like, why the fuck did he hang her from the water tower? Like, what- what was the point of that? Well, I think it was because it was supposed to be a hiding place. Like, they weren't supposed to find the body there. And they kind of make it seem like it was a convenient hiding spot. Like, he was going to throw her in the water tower after she was dead. But she got, like, he yeah. got spooked by hearing yeah. Jane. But, like, they wouldn't found her body in the water. Maybe. Yeah, maybe Probably it would have taken longer. Yeah, I think it would have taken longer. I don't know why he didn't just bash her on the head, though. Anyway. Yeah, well... And then, so he has set Lindsay up to pretend to be him, so he has an alibi. Yeah, it was really a bad plan, but I think, I think the, the point, the reason Alistair wanted to kill the mom was because the mom didn't like him. And he might have already known that they weren't getting the money, and obviously he was very careless with the jewels, but I think it was more like he knew the mom didn't like him, and he wanted to be with Eunice because, I don't know, they were so in love or whatever. But here's my thing. So in writing this up, I was thinking, so Eunice claimed to think that the mother woke up from the chloroform, and that they were just gonna, like, steal the jewels. But here's my thing. Why did they need to frame someone if they were just gonna rob the mom? Because why would Mr. Cotton have robbed the mother? Excellent point. I did not even think about that. So Eunice should have known all along that the plan was to kill the mom. And I think she was just playing dumb. But, like, she should have known that they wouldn't have needed to frame someone if the plan wasn't to kill the mother. Because, like, Mr. Cotton wouldn't have robbed the mother. They weren't framing him for robbery. They were framing him for murder. What an idiot. Again, Eunice 
You're better than this. You should have been better than this. She should have known. Oh, so then I'm just seeing one other note I have is that I was curious as to why Miss Fisher's title was the Honorable Franny mm-hmm. Fisher. So I looked it up. And in in different countries, this means different things. Like, it could mean you're a judge or whatever. But in the UK, all sons and daughters of viscounts and barons and the younger sons of earls are styled with this prefix, the honorable. Got it. Which I then had a flashback yeah. to an episode of Downton Abbey <laughs> where uh, another character is described for this reason as being the honorable. And I think it's the um, the frivolous cousin. I can't remember her name. Oh, yeah. R- Rose. Rose, yes. yes. So Rose is the honorable. Mm-hmm. Okay, so should we go into our ratings? Yes. So what was your best outfit of the week? So my best outfit of the week was definitely Dot's robe on the train. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because it was like velvety and also I just loved how she clutched it about her very modest nightgown. It's a great robe. I also had a robe as my best outfit. It was a different one. It was the kimono robe oh, yeah. that Miss Fisher wears during the scene with the fake boarding house mm-hmm. aunt. It's like this beautiful silk robe with birds on it. She wears that in several episodes to come as well. It's well, a it's go to costume, yeah. Um, what was your worst? I think um, I know. <laughs> the ant, the ant's horrid coat. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I had the horrible dress that she wears, <laughs> that Miss Fisher wears on the hood of the car. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. And there's just so many feathers. There's, like, too many feathers. Like, she looks like a showgirl. And it looks like she's going out to a dance club, not that it's, like, three o'clock in the yeah, afternoon. Yeah, it's like a, uh, yeah. It's bad. Anyways, I went for the horrid fur coat, but that's a good, it was a good pick. Um, so who did you have for best week? Jane, obviously. Her life gets totally turned around in this episode. <laughs> So I actually had Miss Fisher because she is now being allowed to horn in on police investigations. Like, she's definitely got her in with Mm -hmm. Jack now. Yep. And worst week? I had Mr. Merton. (laughs) Because, A, he gets stabbed in the hand with a fork, which would be very painful. Um, B, he loses one of his most lucrative, actually two of his orphans, because Ruth... They find her grandmother, so they sort of, like, place her back with her grandmother, and then Jane gets fostered by Miss Fisher. So, he really just, you know, and I think his business is probably going to be hurt from this whole scandal, so. Well, for sure. Yeah. So, for Worst Week, I actually had Jack. Why? Um, Well, it's sort of a Worst Week, Best Week for him. Uh, because he's just, like, definitely about to experience some romantic turmoil. And I think um, the scene in which Miss Fisher drives off in the Hispano, and he has this totally baffled expression on his face, and I think it's, like, a great sort of allegory for the confusion that he's about to feel (laughs) for the next three seasons as, Mm -hmm. like, this Miss Fisher freight train just drives all over his life and, like, really messes him up. In a good way, bad way. So, sort of a worst week, best week situation there. (laughs) Okay, so how did you rate the murder? I did two, because I didn't under- yeah, I just- I don't know. The whole murder plot in this one was not my favorite. And I just felt like, he strung her up on the water tower, was he meaning to kill her? Was he gonna hide her in the water tower? It was weak. Weak plot line on the murder this week. Yeah, I gave it a 3 out of 10 for being both unrealistic and boring. Yeah. Just didn't make sense. I thought I should have just gotten a rock and bashed her head in. Or just thrown her out of the train while it was moving. Yeah. Surely that would have killed her. Also, it would have been way harder to find the bodies. 
All right, and your absurd Miss Fisher skill of the week? Tracking. Definitely where she's like, oh yeah, th- something was dragged here. Okay, Aragorn, son of Arathorn. <laughs> yeah, that's better than the one I picked. I didn't even think about that. Um, I said Kilimanjaro hiker, which I actually liked because then she was immediately outed as like having not actually done right. it. She just yeah. claims to have hiked Kilimanjaro. Okay, and then what was your sexual tension rating? I rated it at a four. I'm thinking now after this podcast, I should have rated it higher because that that scene where they were at the window three inches apart, there was a lot of sexual tension going on there. Yeah, you're right. I gave it a five and I think, you know, after all this discussion, I think I maybe should have bumped that up a little bit because they they are beginning to flirt. Definitely some flirting, whereas in the first episode there wasn't really any flirting. No flirting at all. And then at the end they say, you can call me Jack, you can call me Phryne, so. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, we need to make sure that the scale remains meaningful because we're going to get some, some we're going to get some more. more intense sexual tension. Yeah. In the weeks to come, so yeah. All right, well, I think that that wraps us up for the week. All right. Next we're going to be reviewing the Green Mill murder. Uh, so dun, dun, dun. So make sure to tune in for that. 